Welcome to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. On today's episode, Elizabeth and Charlie talk all things picture books. They give recommendations in the genre from way back in the 1940s, classics that you've probably heard of, to newer titles that kids and adults can enjoy. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Stacks and Stories. My name is Charlie. I'm usually one of the editors for this podcast. And today I'm being joined by Elizabeth. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Elizabeth Scott. I'm a reference and social media librarian here at MLC. Charlie is not as sad as you might think about this picture book presentation that we're going to do for you. He's really excited. Do I sound sad? You sounded a little sad. I'm trying to contain my emotion just because if I get too ecstatic, I don't want to like bust anybody's speakers. So that's right. And and Katie did have to like rein us back in because we went ahead and started talking about picture books before the actual recording began. So yeah, we could go on and on about this, but. What we're going to do is we're talking about some of our favorite picture books. We have really broken it into three different categories. We're going to talk about an older classic, either it's one book or an author, a newer classic, book or author, and then just one picture book that we really love. Would you like to go first? I can go first, even though y'all did just completely dissect and laugh at my um, Marie Sendak book, which is called Outside Over There. Outside Over There. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. I love Marie Sendak. He has the best, the way he captures emotions on people's faces is just, it's, it's superb. That baby does not look drunk. The baby is obviously distressed and crying. It it doesn't help that the hat looks like a lampshade. (laughs) But yes, the hat's a little small. I really like the artwork is so like hyper realistic almost, but it's still kind of folk tellish. Right, right. It's obviously set in the past, maybe in the Victorian age. Given their garments, I would, yeah, definitely Victorian. And Papa is away at sea. And this is the one that always reminds me of Labyrinth, um, the David Bowie movie, because the baby is stolen away by goblins, and the older sister has to go rescue the baby. There is no goblin king in this one, so... But... She goes and she plays her um, little trumpet horn thing and she rescues her sister and all the mean goblins who kidnapped the baby to make it marry the goblin king, I guess. They dance themselves into a frenzy and are washed away. And, you know, then the older sister starts paying closer attention like she was, because apparently Papa has left her in charge of taking care of her mother and her little sister. Don't Papas always do that in books? I guess, but I want to know where, why. Okay, I'm not critiquing it. I love the story. Okay, good. Okay, you you go first. I love the story. Love the artwork. 
I think the dog would have barked and notified the sister. The dog did not bark. And that was a huge failure. Yes. On the dog's part. And so quick, good dog, Carl, tie-in. So, you know, in good dog, Carl, the dog, Carl, is left alone to take care of the baby for hours and hours. So I don't think we can criticize Papa leaving older sister alone to watch. I mean, she's not even alone. Her mom is technically there to watch the baby when good dog Carl just has it the whole time. So which came first, good dog Carl or Papa at sea leaving the girl in charge? Um, I think they came out around, I think this one might have come out a little bit earlier. Good dog Carl was 85 and okay. uh, outside over there was maybe the late 70s, 81. 81. 81. So 81, 85. So I, th- I think that it was a different time, and the way that we looked after kids has changed. Yes, because this was the time where, you know, people supposedly left the doors unlocked, and you stayed out playing on the street until the, the street lights came on, and that's when you went home to eat dinner. I mean, I went outside and played by myself without any adult supervision when I was a child. Yeah. And did, did you? Me? Yes. Yes. It was the 80s, so... Everything was fine in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, well... (laughs) (laughs) Potato, potato. (laughs) Doesn't make sense, but I'm going to say potato, potato. I've Uh never heard someone say potato, though. Tignataro did it on Discovery. Uh, She she said the same thing, though. Potato, potato. Never seen Star Wars. Charlie. Charlie. Who's your favorite, Charlie? I'm going to go with Robert McCloskey. He is a author illustrator, uh, has some really great illustrations. I loved all of his artwork. Um, one of his books, uh, Time of Wonder from 1957, won the Caldecott Award. And it's about two children spending a summer vacation on a coast island in Maine. I don't think I've read that one. It's really good. I remember looking at this artwork, and it's kind of like uh, a day... A Day in the Coast of Maine. He has another book that's similar title. But it's um, basically these two kids, and they are admiring all of those different things about like noticing how the water, uh, the ripples in the water, how the ducks and the birds sound like they're laughing, how the uh, plants kind of uh, seem to be waking up in the fog, and then when the light clears, it's early spring, and you see all the people on the boats and the... Uh, little fishing planes and everything and then it a hurricane comes as it's getting dark and it's later in the season and to me it was a really good brochure of wanting to visit Maine minus the hurricane <laughs> um at one point that I really liked how they he was talking about they were standing on the island and you could look out at the other islands and you see the clouds rolling in and you can kind of track the dark spots on the other islands where the clouds are over until it finally gets to you and then you're kind of like in a shadow. That sounds really, really beautiful. It, okay. It I'm going add that to my list. It's written in pro. We have it here, so you can. Um, it's actually in my office right now. <laughs> um, it's written in prose, but it's very poetic. And 
um, at, during the storm, at the very end, they end up going back home and saying, and it, I liked how the he worded it. I don't remember exactly how it was worded, though, but it's basically how they have a bit of sadness of where they're leaving, but a bit of gladness about where they're going because now they're going to go back home and go to school and see their friends and things like that. So it's uh, that weird transitional phase where you can be happy and glad about the same event. Uh, he also had another book that was a Caldecott honor from 1948 called Blueberries for Sal. I I love that one. It is so cute. It's it's amazing. It's it's another it's a different time. So in this story, um, baby Sal and her mother are going to Blueberry Hill to pick some blueberries so she can put up the jam for the winter so they can have food. Baby Sal keeps eating all the blueberries, and she's like, no, go, you know, go do your thing. She picks some, too. She picks some, too, but then she eats them out of the bucket. I mean... Then she follows Mom and starts reaching in and, like, I'm just going to pick that one I dropped in there, but, oh, it's by all these others. Let me get those, too. And so she's like, here, go get yours. I've got to get some food for us to take with us so we have enough for winter. And so Baby Sal sits down, and then uh, Mama Bear and Baby Bear are walking along, and it's the same thing. Mama Bear's trying to eat, and she, she's like, eat all you can because we need to have enough fat stored for winter. And Baby Bear ends up sitting down and eating a bunch, and Mama Bear wanders off, and all of a sudden, the mamas are no longer with the babies. There's a little mix-up, and they're like starting to kind of freak out. Where's my baby? Where's my baby? And then they kind of gravitate towards each other. They've swapped. They swapped. And... It was just kind of interesting to see how the humans and the animals mirrored each other. They're prepping for a long, harsh winter. They're trying to get the children to do what they need to do, but the children are more apt to being playing and goofy. And the mothers had the same reaction. This is not my child. Where is my child? And they start panicking. So, um, But this leads me to his most notable work, Make Way for Ducklings. From 1941, which is also a Caldecott winner. Which I love, but do not love as much as I used to because of something that I learned once. Yes, and you shared this with me, and um, I don't know how to feel about the story. So, basically, this story is about Mr. and Miss Mallard, and they are two ducks. They are trying to find a new home because they're about to have some hatchlings and they end up at a outside of the Boston Public Garden. They they love it there, but there's too many people on bikes and stuff, so they end up going to a small stream. Uh, when they venture back, they notice the police guard helping like this police guard that they've been interacting with. Uh, I think his name was Michael and he ends up blocking traffic for them. So that they can go down the uh, an intersection, and he runs back to his little police all, uh, box, looks like a telephone booth, and calls uh, headquarters. So when they get to a major intersection right outside the uh, garden, they have like four cops standing there blocking traffic just for the ducks to be able to cross safely. Which is super sweet. Super sweet. Now, the story, and you shared this with me, so I kind of was looking up how all of this came about. Robert McCloskey uh, was in art school and lived in Boston. 
and he would pass the Boston Public Garden every day on the way to school and just loved watching the ducks. Uh, four years later, when he returned, he noticed there was a, or he was in New York, he noticed there was a large traffic problem in the area, and he had heard stories about how it was affecting some of the ducks. So he wanted to write this story about them, and he went to the American Museum of Natural History in New York and did as much of a study on ducks and mallards that he could, mallards specifically, and... But he couldn't get them in like an action. Like he, he really said he needed to live with the ducks to see them and get the true essence of them. As you do. As you do. So does that mean Maurice Sendak had to live with goblins? Yes. Okay. Just, I don't, okay. Definitely. Just, so he went to the old Washington market and bought some ducks and had them in a little box and was on the subway Duck babies, home. right? Duck, yeah, little ducklings. And he was on the subway on the way home, and they started quacking, and people started giving him suspicious looks. He even drew a little sketch of it. It's really cute. And then he took them home, and he said the one problem was that the ducks were too fast. And so his solution, he tried different things, apparently, and he was quoted as saying, this was in 1960. And here we go. The only thing that worked was red wine. They loved it and went into slow motion right away. Now, when I first you first told me this, I went back and looked at the story. I was like, are these ducks waddling or are they more staggering? But they're doing good. Um, but basically, he got the ducks, the ducks a little tipsy so that they would slow down enough for him to draw. Drunk ducklings. Drunk ducklings. And I don't know how <laughs> alcohol affects ducks, if it's like hazardous to them. So I can there is some gray area here that i'm not aware of if if any of our listeners know how this is going to affect those ducks please let us know because it's a toxin i mean alcohol is poison right right but i don't know how much you would have to give to the duckling because i'm assuming they were little ducks and just a little like a little thimbleful might be enough i would i would think so yeah But then again, like, again, like we talked about how things were different in the 70s and 80s. You know, when kids were teething, there's that old tale where people would put a little, uh, was it whiskey or on the, rub it on the gums? Uh, right, right. So, I And there's some other story. I can't remember if it's uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder or, or some other book that I remember this from. But the pigs went and ate old berries or something and they had fermented yeah and and so and they were all worried because you know oh all the pigs are dying something's wrong with them and no no they're just drunk so we have become a little bit more what's the word puritanistic about what we think is acceptable but I feel kind of badly for the poor baby ducklings. I felt bad for that. But then I was like, well, they seem, I don't know if the ducks enjoyed it, but also I couldn't find out what happened to the ducks. So I, I, that's my also gray area. I don't know if he kept them through their life or if he took them to a garden or what, but. I feel like we would know about Robert McCluskey having adopted seven baby ducks and keeping them through their life bands well I, I don't know so also he 
So he got them for the pure purpose of trying to sketch them in a in a natural and high, or not natural, it's in an apartment, but uh, these ducklings. And so he would follow them around with his sketch pad, a pencil, and a Kleenex for any accidents that occurred. But the neighbors did start complaining because of the noise and water leaks for the neighbors underneath them because he would fill the bathtub up so they could swim and there was a lot of splashing and water traipsing everywhere. So that's awfully sweet. That that part made me feel a little bit better. It was a little more heartwarming than just getting ducks drunk to draw them. So And then shipping them off to be eaten afterwards. Possibly. Possibly. So uh, Because they would have imprinted on him. They would have well if they probably, yeah. So many questions. So, so many questions. Like, why didn't he just take some pictures? That, yeah, that sent me down a weird rabbit hole of, well, when did the general public have cameras? And how good were these cameras? Would they be able to catch a duck in action? And then it came into this weird, like, <laughs> I told you about this. So there was this, like, weird games people were playing in the yes. ten, like 1910s where... They would uh, take these poised pictures as jokes, and one of them was you would uh, cut a hole in a newspaper and put your head through it and take a picture. So it was a play on uh, breaking the news. Which I really think we need to bring back, y'all. Yeah, and they would take pictures of themselves in in mirrors, so it was like the original selfie. So, um, yeah, it was okay. Enough about Robert McCloskey. We we should talk a little bit more about Maurice Sendak, though, just because yeah. he is equally amazing. Um, so his his family <clears throat> was originally for Pol- from Poland, and they were Jewish. And he was born in the early 20s, I think. So by the time World War II came along, um, the the horrors had already started happening to the Jewish people. And so his family lost a lot of people in Europe. Um, And that came along when he was at a very impressionable age, I think 10 or 12 or so. And I think that that lent a lot. I I think that that shows up a lot in his artwork. He's not afraid to shy away from people having feelings from um, from showing real expressions of emotion on on people's faces and and also dealing with subjects like everyone's favorite I, I heard yesterday at trivia that the Brooklyn Library named uh, where the wild things are as their most popular book um, ever checked out I think it had the most circulation and and that one is just so you know Max is you know feeling himself and he he doesn't want to behave and he gets sent to bed without any supper and he goes and he just has this imaginative kind of thing where he gets out all of his emotions and he plays and um explores and then he works himself back down to where he can kind of interact with other people and and be kind of nice again and um and then his mom still comes in and loves him yeah so 
I, I really like the way he he deals with people. So, is outside over there with the goblins kidnapping the baby for a marriage? Is that based on any type of folk tale or any type of well, story the, from his? The changelings, the that's it, it's British Isles folklore because you know they would say that. If, if something were wrong with your child, that that was, oh, the the changelings got them. You know, they were yeah. switched out at some point, and um, and you got the, your, your perfect baby is off somewhere else, and you've got this dud that the goblins or the changelings put there, so. So the interesting thing in this one was the, the changeling baby was was it was made of ice so it, it was not fooling anybody well it fooled the little girl for a few minutes and then she accidentally dropped it and the and the baby shattered okay <laughs> sorry um i mean maurice sindak he he has faced a lot of of book bans and and people not liking the things that he put puts in his books because of whatever reason um where the wild things are, people think that him being sent to bed without any supper was cruel. Um, kind of so. goes back to that puritanical. Yes. Yes, it does. So, new classic, new author. When we say new, it can be the last, what, 15, 20 years. Long, we, we're just saying classic, as in they've had more than a couple of books that are really popular that we really enjoy. Yes. So who would you say is your new classic? Do you want to go first, or you want me to go first? You can go first. I'll go first. So I am really enjoying Mikola Goad's books. So Mikola Goad, she is a member of the Tlingit and Haida tribes, in Alaska, which I think there are around Sitka. Um, but her books, she's illustrated several, and then I think that Berry Song might be the only one that she has done where she has illustrated it and written it. But her illustrations are gorgeous. Um, she did We Are Water Protectors, which is about a black snake which is the oil and the pipeline um, that is crossing our our land and destroying nature. She illustrated one called I Sing Down the Moon, which is about a new baby and the mother's love for the new baby and all that she's going to do for it. And then Berry Song is um, about a little girl going out and picking berries with her grandmother. And it's talking about how we're all connected to nature and how you look out. It re- reminded me of Robert McCloskey when you were, you were talking about his book. What was the name of that one? Oh, uh, Blueberries for Sale. No, no, the first one that he won. the Time year. of Wonder. Time of Wonder, where... It really helps kids reflect on their connection to nature and paying attention to the seasons and paying attention to the world around them. She talks about all the different berries that they pick and several I've never heard of, although I'm sure in Alaska they have different things. 
and then all the different things that you can make with them about being connected and that you want to not take more than you can use and um, just just really a, a great sort of book for kids to connect with nature yeah um, and plus the the illustrations are they're really pretty but they're also realistic because sometimes picture books can be just really pretty but they're boring and I don't think hers are. I think they're just, they're really sweet. There's a lot to look at. Um, I, I hope she writes more. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, that's what, uh, when you going back to Time of Wonder, I like because the, the whole time they're talking about like the birds uh, laughing because they have like a sense of humor and all this kind of funny stuff. When a, a boat's going into the water and the kid almost gets the water splashing up on their feet. They're like, oh, ha, ha, and they kind of run off. And then a couple of seconds later, you hear the birds doing the same thing because oh. they had that little experience too. And then the way that the whenever the storm's about to come, the hurricane's about to come, they're going to get all of their supplies on the main island. And all the adults are like, oh, well, the I'm looking at the sky and I know the storm's about to hit. Um, uh, you can look out at the water and the clouds. You can look at how the animals are acting. So they're looking at all these cues from nature that, like we as people, don't are and aren't able to sense, but we interact with nature to see. All the ducks are sitting still, facing the other direction, well, the same direction, and they're no longer doing their humorous laugh. I say ducks. I'm just thinking make way for ducklings, but these birds are doing the right, same thing. So right. it's just interesting to see how. We, but it all seems like we've gotten away from that because uh, it doesn't seem like many people now can look at the sky and be like, oh, yeah, it's going to be, you know, bad weather is about that. We always have to go automatically look at the weather channel or look on our phones to see what the forecast is going to be. Right. So it's a lost art. It is a lost art. At least um, around here, from what I've noticed. Yes. So I, I think books like this are, are great because they they give kids a chance to reconnect. Yeah. So my new classic is going to be Jory John. He has a couple of different series. He has one that is a children's book style for adults called All My Friends Are Dead that's based on dinosaurs. <laughs> but I'm specifically talking about the food group books. Um, Jory John wrote all of them. There's, I think, eight now. Uh, they are all illustrated by Pete Oswald. Mm-hmm. And they started in 2017 with The Bad Seed. Each one is an adjective followed by some type of food. So it's The Bad Seed, The Good Egg, The Cool Bean, The Couch Potato, The Smart Cookie, and The Sour Grape. Uh, I really like the art style that the illustrator uses, Pete Oswald, but I also really like the text that Jory John has created. They all follow a very similar format where it's at the beginning explaining why they are who they are. So in the bad seed, it's this sunflower seed and it says, I'm a bad seed. I'm a real bad seed. I walk down the street and I hear people say, Oh, look there. There goes that bad seed. I do this. I interrupt people. I cut the line all the time. I don't wash my hands or feet. And then 
but I wasn't always bad. I used to be good. And then he starts talking about this is what happened. He was in a sunflower and he was with all of his friends and family. They were all nice and happy. Then all of a sudden, it, the weather changed. The sunflower drooped and all the seeds fell out. They end up in a dark bag and there's this man eating sunflower seeds at a ballpark. And he's like, I think I'm. this is it. I'm done for. And then I'm flying through the air. The man spits him out and he lands on a wad of gum. And now he's changed. So he was almost <laughs> eaten and that's why he's become a bad seed. <laughs> And then he's like, well, I I need to change. I, I don't want to always be the bad seed. And so he starts trying to do these other things that are against what he was already doing. And at the end, he sees people. He's like, I'm not always a bad seed. I'm still trying. Sometimes I do bad things, but I'm still trying to be a good seed. And it's when he's walking down the street, and he's like, oh, look at there. There goes that bad seed. And then the person responds, oh, well, he's not that bad. He's not always bad. And you see the bad seed turn around and say, I heard that. So, and it's an acknowledging that change. So it kind of helps people understand that there may be a reason that someone acts the way they do, but there is still that opportunity for change. So in the good egg, it's the same thing. The good egg lives in a carton with these other eggs, and they are all wild eggs. And he's always trying to make him follow in line, do the right thing. And he ends up with a massive headache and he has all these little cracks on the top of his shell. And he goes to the doctor. He's like, you're too, under too much pressure. <laughs> so he's like, all right, I'm bouncing. And he leaves and he's like, oh, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to write my journal. I'm going to read. I'm going to, you know, canoe, all this kind of stuff. And then he realizes he starts to get better, and he's like, I really miss my friends and my family. So he goes back, and he's like, they aren't that bad. Um, I can play with them. I can do stuff with them. But I also need to understand that they're different, and so we need to try to get along, and I'll just try to guide them. So, And it's a way of getting those kind of points across. That's that's nice. I, I've read – I think I read the egg one, and I liked it. It wasn't, it wasn't my favorite, but – it's it's still really good, and I think kids really really like those. Yeah, the the whole series I think is worth checking out. So, my wife works. Her name's Kelly. She works at a hi Kelly. <laughs> hello Kelly. Uh, she works at a school as a school librarian, and she was. I was telling her about we were recording this podcast uh, last night, and she's. And I told her that I was going to do this was my new classic, and she told me that. She has the whole series, and she cannot keep them in stock. Like, they are always checked out. There are kids waiting in line. So she told one of them that they were going to – She was. Um, there's a new one coming out, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to uh, – I have it ordered. And every day that little girl saw her, she's like, did it come in? Did sour grape come in? Did sour grape come in? Oh. And whenever she told her and she had it ready, and she's like, here it is. I've got it checked out for you. She, this little girl had the purest look of pure glee on her face that sour grape had come in. Oh, that's so great. So that's what books to me are. It's like that, that type of joy and that type of passion. So, And I bet she goes back and checks it out again and again. Oh, yeah. They're, because you'll notice something different in the artwork or the way the story's told each time. It's, it's really good. And they're a little bit longer. Most storybooks are, what, 32 pages? 32 pages. Uh, these are more along like 40, 40-something 40 pages. So. 
not story walk conducive. No, no. It's more like a story hike. Which is not a bad thing. No. So, we also were going to talk about one book that we just really love. It could be a one-off that an author wrote or whatever. So, I had a hard time with this. I was going to go with Harriet Gets Carried Away by Jesse Seema, but I think that I've talked about that one before. It's a fantastic book, and you should go check it out. But the book that I'm going to mention is uh, Nigel in the Moon by Antoine Edie, and it's illustrated by Gracie Tsang. Um, I read it. We just got it here at the Library Commission, um, and it was the Jumpstart Book of the Year, which is this thing where um, everyone gets together and, and reads the same picture book. Um, so it was the jumpstart book of the year this year. And, um, it's just, it's about this little boy who I think it's career week and they're supposed to talk about what they want to be. And he just, he doesn't really know. He's got all these different things that he wants to do, but he hadn't pinned them down. And to be fair, he is five or six or seven. He's very young. I mean, I was like this. You change your mind about what you want to be from day to day and year to year. And and so he talks to the moon about it and sort of shares his secrets and makes himself feel better. And then um, his parents show up for the last bit of career day and talk about what they do. And all the kids in class, of course, are transfixed and want to do what they do. I think the mom is a postal carrier, and maybe the dad drives a truck. I'm not positive. But, you know, all the kids are like, oh, this is great. I want to do this, too. And so then he has the courage to finally say, well, you know, I think I might want to dance and be an astronaut and maybe do some of these other things too. And it's this great story about just being comfortable about who you are and mm-hmm. what you want to do in life and exploring your options. Yeah. So it's it's very sweet. That sounds really good. And we have it here. We just got it in. We'll have to check it out. The part where I think you said the dad may be a truck driver. That reminded me of a. Do you ever read? Beverly, I think it was Beverly Cleary wrote uh, Dear Mr. Henshaw. Oh, yes. I really enjoyed that book. My dad was a truck driver, like a long-haul truck driver. So right. I remember reading that, and that was who I chose to write a letter uh, to when we were supposed to write an author. And I told her, thank you for putting that in the story, because I hadn't read a story about a person with a truck driver in the family before. Oh, so that's good then. Yeah, it was really cool. Did you actually send the letter off, or No. I gave it to the teacher, so I don't know if she, okay. they actually sent it or if they put it in the trash. I don't know what they did with I, it. I doubt that they put it in the trash, but they probably didn't actually send them. Yeah. Which is a shame. So, my and you also said the mom was a mail carrier, which leads yes. to my one of my favorite books. It's called Can I Be Your Dog by Troy Cummings. He has written other books, and he... I haven't read any of the other ones, but this one is absolutely amazing to me. Um, the artwork is very bold, and the text, it's the story of this dog. It's a homeless dog that lives in a, unfortunately, he lives in a uh, like a soggy box in an alleyway. 
and he keeps reading or writing these letters and all of this is what's the word whatever a book is written through letters epistles epistolary epistolary it's an epistolary picture book so he's writing all of these letters to the people on this one street um and he's like oh i see that you know hello yellow house I see that you have a cat in a nice yard. I would love to have a house where I can play with a cat every day and do this. Can I be your dog? And then he gets a return letter saying, our do- our cat is um, allergic to dogs. Sorry, good luck. And then the, the, same, the mail carrier is the same one on the street every time. She delivers one to the, the butcher. And it's the dog saying, hey, can I be your, your dog? I see that, you know, I could really keep your floor is nice and clean and he gets his return letter and it says that last time i had a dog in here i had 12 meatballs go missing but here's some giblets dried giblets for you and good luck and so it keeps going through this and it's finally hey last house on the street i see you have weeds in your yard and the windows are boarded up and some other stuff but i'm really not picky can i be your dog and whenever he gets the let return letter it's the same one it says return to sender no one lives at this address there's another letter and it's been taped to his box and he opens it up and it's the mail carrier said i've read your letters i think you would i really need someone to go along with me through hell sleet snow storm of night and everything and you seem to know everybody on these streets i think you'd be a great companion for me will you be my will you be my companion and he writes a letter and meets her and they become, they couple up. I love a good animal book. It is so good. And at the very end, it offers some advice on how people, uh, I mean, it's, children's the target audience, but it's how you can help homeless animals about helping at shelters and adopting and not shopping and things like that. So it's a really phenomenal story. And you brought that one for me to read, right? I did. Thank you. So it is such a good story. All right. So we've talked a lot about some picture books. Are there any ones that you want to just rattle off before we wrap up? No, because I want to do this again. And I don't want to to use up any good ones by just rattling them off. Good point. Good point. So we are wrapping up. We appreciate y'all listening and we hope y'all check out some of these books. And even if you're an adult, don't be afraid to check out a picture book. I mean, they're for everybody. You're missing out if you look at something and say, oh, that's for kids and don't explore. Are we all kids at heart? Hopefully. And you can still learn things. Yeah. Whatever the source. Thank y'all for listening, and we hope y'all join us next time. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. We hope you will tune in next time, and we encourage you to visit your local public library often.